Our scripture reading is Ephesians 1, verses 1 to 14. It can be found on page 1079 of the Bibles next to your seats, as well as on the screen. This is God's word. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from our God and Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And now I'd like to um, introduce Keith Adams, who is going to be um, bringing the sermon this afternoon. Thanks, Kathy. Actually, my name is Kevin, but I go by Keith and some other things, too. Um, but it's, it's just really a treat to be here uh, with all of you. I think the world of Mark and Lisa, and uh, just uh, glad to be able to give them a little break during this uh, new baby time. And uh, Mark and I are part of a network of uh, pastors and church planners who get together once a month. And so we get to hear stories about these other churches and different things that are going on. So for me to be here today, it's probably been a couple, two or three years since, last, since I've been here last time you were at Eastern Star. And so it's just, it's really a treat. And Kathy, thank you so much for, for leading us. Uh, let, let me pray for us and then we'll, we'll begin the sermon. Father in heaven, we come from so many places. Uh, some of us come today uh, anticipating a good, clear, sure word from you. Uh, we believe and we want our belief stoked and strengthened. Others of us come and um, we've maybe made some tentative steps in and uh, to this thing called faith and we're not really sure where we are and we come with our wonderings and our questionings. And others of us, Lord, we come slightly cynical not quite sure why we're here. We feel more like doubters than believers. But all of us, Lord, we bring who we are and what we think and feel to you. And we ask that in the name of Jesus, you would give us good news. 
We pray in his name and say amen. This past week, Jack had one of those weeks. You know those weeks where you get to work on Monday and the boss says, tomorrow you're leaving for Orange County. There's a job I need you to do there. There's a deal I need you to close. And so off he went to Orange County. And then he got back on Tuesday. And Tuesday afternoon, the boss said to him, you know, there's a job I need you to do in Seattle. So off he went to Seattle on Thursday to get the job done. And Jack, like Mark, has been fruitful and multiplied. He has three children. And so they're in three separate soccer leagues. And so he's also in between his trips to Orange County and up to Seattle is running back and forth to soccer. And this week on Friday, his water heater poured open, uh, which water heaters are obviously not supposed to do. And so he needed to call the contractor, he needed to call his insurance agent. And then on Saturday, two of his three kids had kind of snack time, if you can relate to that. Uh, They were in charge of snacks. And then uh, his mom called and said there's all kinds of trouble at home. And at about 11 o'clock last night, he had three minutes to himself Time for some self-reflection on the week. And he thought to himself this. Does any of this matter? Does any of this matter? And then there's Sally. Sally's a single person. Her boyfriend has three kids. Uh, They're high demand, high maintenance. uh, She gets calls. She's on the uh, list for them. You know, if there's a trouble at school, they call her, the girlfriend. And so she ran back and forth to school this week. Her mom called and says, I talk to your sister all the time. How come you never call? How come you never visit? Her grandma called and said, I used to used to enjoy our tea and chat time and stuff. How come you never visit me? And this past week, finally, she had a moment to herself and she thought, Jack's question, all this running around, all this running around, does it make any difference? Does anything I do matter. And then there's Fred. Fred went to the memorial service of a good friend of his. Now Fred goes to church once in a while on Sunday afternoon. He considers himself a believer or some version of a believer. And there he sat in that memorial service and he knows what you're supposed to think in a memorial service if you go to church uh, occasionally. You're supposed to think, boy, this is a wonderful person. Boy, I sure appreciate all their contributions. I'm happy to get to know them. Things I knew, things I didn't know. And now I'm supposed to believe that they're in a better place, but I sit there and I look at the urn and I wonder, 75 years this person walked the planet. Did any of it make a difference? Did any of it matter? Well, one answer to that question, of course, is no. No. None of it matters. None of it is connected. None of it makes any sense. It's all random. It's all disconnected. It makes no sense. There's no connect the dots at all. We are just cigarette butts tossed into the universe swimming on the sands and seas of uncertainty. None of it makes any difference. And if you know a little bit of Shakespeare, maybe enough to be dangerous from high school English class, you might know these words of Macbeth. Life's but a walking shadow, a poor player, that struts and frets his hour upon a stage and then is heard no more. A tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. No. None of this makes any sense. None of this makes any difference at all. Maybe... um, you know the film, have any of you film critics or wannabe film critics or you just love watching film? 
Uh, my French is pretty poor, but film noir, you know it? Black film, dark film, the kind of French that's translated in, uh, from the French black film. Light, shadow, contrast to evil women leading men astray who are confused anyway. There's all kinds of genres of this and subgenres of this. But the bottom line is everybody's dead on stage and things are worse at the end of the film than they are at the beginning of the world. Life is unraveled. A hero comes in on a white horse trying to do good. And in a cowboy film, he would do good. But in film noir, he can't do anything. And his life gets worse because he's trying. You know these kinds of films, French films? I watched the movie, I don't know the, the ins and outs of this genre. I don't pretend to be a film critic. I watched the movie by Liam Neeson, Gray. Have you seen Gray, any of you? It's a... Yes, we have one. Okay, this is from a year or two ago. Um, and basic, well, I can't tell you the plot line. It's just sad at the end. Can I tell you that? It's, it's, it should be a French film with uh, English subtitles. That's all I'm saying. Okay, I tried that. Let me try it with something else. This is a, a longer shot uh, for all of you who look like you're under 40, even those who aren't. You look that way. Hill Street Blues reruns, anybody? Reruns? Hill Street. Okay, I'm getting some nods. On. Hill Street Blues was a, a shown in New York City, I think, and there was a cop... It was a cop show, and all the cops would meet in the morning, and there was a sergeant who would gather them, give them the tasks of the day, tell them where they needed to go, and then every time at the end, before he sent them off to their beats, he would say, be careful out there, be safe out there, some version of that. Well, in real life, he died, so on the show, he had to die. It's kind of the way it works, right? And uh, after he died, uh, someone was bringing his urn across the street and spilled it, a dark street, dimly lit, it was evening, and nobody noticed that they spilled it. And right after all the folks exited, a street sweeper came. Some of you remember this. This was a fairly poignant thing. And swept him up, and he was no more. Does anything you do matter? One answer is no. God, no. No way. There's nothing, there are no connecting the dots. You're just randomly thrown out there. You could have been born in Malaysia or Michigan or someplace in between. Nothing really is connected or matter. Maybe you've heard the uh, one scientific version of this, self-proclaimed scientific version of this comes from Bertrand Russell, who lived about the turn of the century. This is from 1903. So the language is a bit dated. It's a little muddy at the beginning. gets a little clear in the middle and real clear at the end, I think. You be the judge, okay? So I just want you to hang in there if the first part of the quote seems like, woo, out there, okay? Bertrand Russell, writing in 1903. That man and woman, we would add now, that humanity is the product of causes that had no prevision of the end they were achieving. That her origin, growth, hopes and fears, loves and beliefs are but the outcome of accidental collections of atoms that no fire, no heroism, no intensity of thought and feeling can preserve individual life beyond the grave, that all labors of the ages, all the devotion, all the inspiration, all the noonday brightness of human genius are destined to extinction in the vast death of the solar system and that the whole temple of man's achievement must inevitably be buried beneath the debris of a universe in ruins. All these things if not quite beyond dispute, are yet so nearly certain that no philosophy which rejects them can hope to stand. Any questions? Well, if you do, there's a couple more lines. 
only within the scaffolding of these truths, only on the firm foundation of unyielding despair can the whole soul's habitation henceforth be safely built. Are the dots connected? Does anything you do this week matter? The answer, according to Bertrand Russell, is no. But there are other answers. There's another answer, and the answer is yes. And the great theologian Marty McFly answers it this way. Do you know Marty McFly from Back to the Future? Everything you do has an effect and causes something else that has an effect. And if you go back to the future, as this trilogy of films suggests, you could undo everything. The whole universe could be at stake as we know it. Doc Brown, his muse, his, his philosopher, his Sophia, uh, kept saying, at the very end, you know, at one point, Marty McFly, you might remember, goes back to the future and he meets his mom and dad and he throws them off kilter and then he has his family photo and because they haven't met like they were supposed to in real life, he starts to disappear from this family photo so he has to figure it out and then they meet and he thinks while he's at it, he might as well make dad a little richer than he turned out to be so he manages to do that for a while. But Doc Brown comes, his advisor, and he comes and one of the last lines, I'm kind of paraphrasing, he says is this, Marty, the future is what you make it. The future is what you make it. So go out and make it a good one. Now that's a kind of a yes, right? Uh, I'm older than Mark. You probably guessed that already. I turned 50 a while back. And I hope that's not a deal breaker for all of you. Anybody else? 50? Yeah, good. Okay. Um, all I want you to know is that at 50, I know that if the future is what I make it, I'm in trouble. <laughs> now, I don't know you very well, but my hunch is if the future is what you make it, you all are in serious trouble too, right? If it's all up to you for the future to fit together, if it's all up to you for the plans to make sense, if it's all up to you for everything, if, you have a, if you're a parent, if you have a, a children in the world, or if you have moms and dad or uh, uh, cousins, if it's up to you, you and they are in a load of trouble. Well, it's in this kind of yes-no that this text, this amazing text of Ephesians, steps in and gives us an answer. If the question is, is there a plan? And Bertrand Russell and a bunch of other folks say no, and Marty McFly says yes, and it all depends on us. There's another answer, a gospel answer, the Bible's answer, which says, yes, there is a plan, but it doesn't, thank God, depend on all of us. So it's this next little while we want to talk about uh, some, just make some observations about this plan. This uh, chapter 1, verse 3 to verse 14 is one sentence. Any grammar people here? Any English majors? 201 word sentence. Nobody tries to translate as one sentence in English. It wouldn't be done. So we kind of break it into pieces and we look at it at a time. One sentence, 201 words. The first point of this sentence that I want to suggest, there's three things I want to tease out. There are a hundred points. You could preach for a whole year on this, but I'm only here one day, so I'm just going to do a few, okay? One thing about this is that there is a plan. If you go back to, uh, in fact, let me point that out where that shows up a little bit. If you go where there's a plan in verse, um, we're really going to look at verse 9, 10, and 11. 9, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. Okay, there's a plan there to be put into effect when times reach their fulfillment. When Jesus shows up and Mark starts preaching the gospel, he says, it is time. The kingdom of God is at hand. It is time, so now repent. 
And what Paul is saying is when times happen, God started to work his plan of redemption. Uh, all through the Old Testament and New Testament, there's a sense that the time has been fulfilled. It's, it's now the season. God has put all these things in place, and now it's the trigger point. There's a plan. And if you keep reading in, in verse 11, in him we also were chosen, having been predestined according to the plan. That's according to the blueprint, if you will, any architects here, according to the blueprint of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. So the the Bible's message is there is a plan, and the first thing about that plan, if you go back to that 201-word sentence, the first thing about that plan, subject predicate. Any English majors here? Anybody survive high school English? You want to find out what a sentence is about? You figure out what the subject is? You figure out what the, you thought, oh God, not in church, right? Okay, but think about this. There's one subject of this 201-word sentence. You know what it is? It's God. You come to church, you expect that answer, right? It's God. God is the subject of the sentence. He's the only subject of the sentence. And what does God do? Well, God loves, and he calls, and he predestines, and he chooses, and he arranges, and he unveils his mystery. It's God from beginning to end. God is in charge. God is working his plan. God has a plan. He's nudging, and he's devising his plan. Um, This is a contrast from what uh, Jamie Smith, of a uh, philosopher, uh, PhD from University of Villanova, he, what he calls uh, um, Winnie the Pooh theology. Winnie the Pooh theology goes like this. A honeybee. If there's a honeybee, there must be honey. And, and if there hon- there's honey, it must be for me, yeah, there's a plan. If there's a plan, it must be for me. But what Paul says is there's a plan and it's, it's not first of all about you, it's about God and his calling and redeeming and loving and justifying and predestining and arranging and unveiling his mystery. The Westminster Confession from the 1500s puts it this way, which is a lot different than honeybee theology. It says, what is the chief end of human beings? What are we here for? What are we doing here? And the answer comes back, to enjoy God and to glorify him forever. In other words, it's all, it's all about God, what we're doing. It's all about him. There is a plan and it's all, it's all about God. Um, Now, some of you may say, you know, so far this doesn't sound exceptionally Christian, right? If you think about another religion, uh, Slumdog Millionaire, for instance, is uh, one commentator or critic of this movie, Slumdog Millionaire. Anybody? Slumdog Millionaire people? Okay, I'm just checking your pop culture ratio here. Some of you are a little soft. I just want you to know. Slumdog Millionaire, um, this critic says it's kismet from the beginning to the end. There's this unseen hand. There's this force. There's this sense that somebody else is doing something from the beginning. Now, we like the way it turns out. It's kind of happy at the end. But there's this poor person born in the slums. And kismet is it's the roll of the dice, and you get whatever's rolled for you. It's beyond your control. And then you, somebody else rolls, and you live with how the dice is struck. That's kismet. Or maybe, um, let me try this, go back to the classics, Oedipus Rex. Anybody know that story? 
there's plague, there's a famine in the land, the new king is living with the queen, the ex-king's wife, and they call for a prophet who is supposed to tell them what's wrong. And the prophet says, you don't want me to come because you won't like what's wrong. And what's wrong, eventually they get it out of the prophet, is that the king living with the queen is the son living with his mother. And years and years before, there was a prophecy that came that said this nation, the city-state one day will be in all kinds of peril because a son is going to sleep with his mother and rule and try to serve as king. And this is chaos, and of course, that can't work. And so what they did is they sent the son away, and everything they did to try to not make this prophecy work actually ended up making the prophecy work. That's like there's a plan, but you can't do anything about it. That's, in a sense, what this critic is saying about Slumdog Millionaire, which is there's a plan, there's kismet, there's things going on in the universe. God's in charge, or the fates are in charge, or some fatalism in charge, and there's nothing we can do about it. And the second thing about this passage, though, especially if we look at it in perspective of all of Ephesians, is there's a plan, and God's in charge of a plan, but there's also a sense in which we as human beings are deeply involved in the plan. Ultimately, thank God, he's in charge of the plan, okay? Ultimately, there's nothing you can do to thwart God's plan. You're not that big, and neither am I. Collectively, we're not that big. Ultimately, it's God's plan. But penultimately, what we do significantly matters. In Ephesians, it's framed like this. In Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter 2 and chapter 3, it's all about you are called and you are chosen. You are a saint. You are redeemed. You matter to God. You were dead, it will say in Ephesians 2, and God took the paddles and went, and resuscitated you. You had little to do with it. You didn't even make the order to the doctor. You didn't sign in the emergency room. He came by, boom, hit you with the paddles, and you became alive. Ephesians 1, 2, 3. So far, we're not needed much. But then comes Ephesians chapter 4 and chapter 5 and chapter 6. And in those chapters, Paul will say something like, you, be reconciled with your neighbor. You, 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 stop, stop lying and uh, belittling people and speak the truth instead in love. You, 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 uh, you, married, you married folks, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. They'll keep you busy for a while. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved her, the church, and gave himself up for her. Let's see, wife is living for husband, husband is dying for the wife. Who's getting the better deal? Anyway, it's enough of this. It's not just God's in charge, forget it. It's get your stuff together, get going, live this stuff. Don't just talk about it, get out there and do stuff. You see how this works, right? God's in charge of the plan. He's ultimately control of the plan. He's guiding the plan, but on some mysterious level, what we do really significantly matters. Now, we're putting, um, this is a 2,000-year-old problem since Paul wrote this and since the New Testament was written. You know, how does human involvement happen with divine involvement? I tried to solve it after 2,000 years this week, um, but I didn't manage to. Sorry, so we're going to live with some tension. And some of you say, well, see, that's what, this is where the pastor starts mumbling something about mystery. It's a cop-out. I'm just here to tell you, pastor's copping out, mystery, blah. There is this thing in, I'm just wondering, there is this thing in science, uh, light, do you know about this, some of you, any scientists? Light is both waves and it's sometimes particles. In other words, life is sometimes light, life too probably, light is sometimes matter 
and it sometimes behaves in waves where it's not matter. It's like a wave. And you know what scientists say about that? You know, it, it kind of has both properties, and we have to kind of live with a mystery. Yes, that's exactly what we're talking about here. God's in charge. He's not in charge 51% or 62% or 99%. He's in charge. What we do matters. What we do doesn't matter 12% or 18%. What we do really matters. We see this not only in Ephesians, we see this in the book of Acts. Peter has, uh, Jesus has not only risen from the dead, but he's ascended into heaven. And now Peter is addressing a crowd of folks who are uh, interested in the faith. And he says this, from the beginning of time, God ordained, he planned that Jesus would die and rise from the dead to save all of you. What does that sound like? God's in charge. It's God's plan, right? And he says, now you who killed him, repent and believe, which sounds like what? What you do really matters. That's Acts chapter 2. And then there's a scene later in Acts chapter 27. This is all over the Bible where Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul, who writes this, is, is on this ship, and the ship is about to be sunk. And it says, if an angel of the Lord whispers to Paul and says, no one's going to perish. Well, that's good. Paul rallies the troops, says, let's eat a little bit. None of us are going to perish. But while he's doing that, some of the folks, the sailors, try to sneak a lifeboat and take off. And he says to them, if you go on the lifeboat, you're going to die. God's in charge, and what you do really matters. It's a kind of a tension we live with, but it's the good news of the gospel that it's not fate that we're, we're, you know, nothing matters that we do. What we do significantly matters, and at the same time, God is in charge. So God's in charge. What we do matters, and then the last kind of thing to pull out for now is this. It's this wonderful passage, verse 10. It says, uh, going back a little bit, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment. Okay, there's the plan. And here's the purpose. To bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In other words, God's in charge of the plan. What we do matters. And then the third point is this. Everything is in the plan. Everything. It's not just you get to heaven, here's your ticket in the plan. But somehow, if you take care of a park as a national park ranger, it's, it's in the plan. If you build airplanes and they get people from point A to point B, somehow that's in the plan. If you're a teacher and you're helping someone who's lost in math in fifth grade and will not get back on track unless some teacher intervenes, if you do that, somehow that's in the plan. Everything, everything is in the plan. It's not just a little ticket to sort of get you out of some fiery place. There's a sense in which all of this amazing creation, every piece of what's going on is in the plan. It's really kind of phenomenal that Paul could write this from prison and say something so grandiose and shocking and amazing. Have, um, have any of you gone shopping in the grocery store and you're just going to get one thing, right? So you don't need a cart. You don't need one of those little basket things because you're, you're going to get like two oranges 
And so you get your oranges, but then you see the bananas are on sale. So you get some bananas, and then you see the bagels are on sale. So you get some bagels, and then you see, oh, yeah, nice steak, good filet mignon tonight. Yeah. Or you're a vegetarian, and you say, oh, here's this kind of thing. And you go over there, and, and pretty soon you get there, and then, and then you see Pastor Mark in the store, and he wants to chat you up, but you're kind of feeling like this juggler as you're trying to make it to the cash register. And then just when you think you've made it, the oranges slip out. And you go make a move for the oranges, and the banana falls down, and then the bread falls, and... This happened to someone I know, and uh, someone was nearby, and she said, he was hoping she would help, but instead she acted philosopher. She said, now that's a parable of life, isn't it? He's like, help me with the bananas. She's sitting there waxing eloquent like she's in some philosophy class. But she was right, wasn't she? Isn't that how our life goes? We, um, we, we think, well, we have a family or we want to have a family or we have a boyfriend so we spend time over there and we're trying to get that relationship going and we're working over here and then all the time what's happening our career is floundering so we go over here we're working on the career we put in some extra hours we make the trips to Seattle and Orange County and then we do that and then all of a sudden we realize physically we're a mess we haven't exercised in 10 years we go over here we exercise we ride bikes and we're trying to do our community service while we're riding the bikes we're trying to get to work on our bike and all this kind of stuff you think that's no good i haven't gone to church in forever i don't even know how to spell church you go over here and you kind of and we go through life and it all is falling apart and the message of this is there's a plan god's in charge of the plan what we do matter in the plan and all things come together not in us but in christ he holds all things together, things we know about, things we don't know about. Isn't that sort of amazing? Some of you have heard stories, I think all of us maybe have heard stories about this kingdom that's in trouble, and then the king comes, and he puts everything aright. It's kind of amazing. These stories are in almost every language, in almost every culture, on almost every continent where a kingdom's in trouble, there's peril, and, and life is falling apart. They can't hold their bananas and their oranges and their bread and their bagels all at the same time. And so they, but a king comes and he puts it all right. And, and that story, almost in every language, almost in every continent and country, comes from what true story? Is it from the British kings? No. Let's see, is it from the French kings? No. Is it from Chinese emperors? No. Asian kings? No. Where does that story come from? Has it ever existed in the history of humanity? Might it be that it comes from the Holy Spirit that still whispers in those of us who remember paradise the way it was, who says, there is a king who is coming and that king will put everything right. That king will hold everything in his hands and all the chaos will finally become order and all the tangled mess of life will finally become shalom because there is a plan and he's in charge of the plan. And while what we do matters, finally the good news of the gospel is it's all in his hand. That's the good news of the gospel, friends. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this passage in Ephesians and for what it teaches us about you and what it teaches us about ourselves. And we ask, Lord, that you would help us take in this good news and to live it. And we pray that you would um, yeah, rest in it and also uh, cheerfully serve in it. 
because things don't depend on us, but we can be swept up in the good work you are doing. We pray in the name of Jesus through whom that's possible and through whom that happens. And we say, amen.